What's up, fam? It's your favorite certified transformational nutrition coach, David Wazicki, and this is Man to Man, a wellness series where we chop it up with other brothers to get their insight on how to go from hellness to wellness. Today, we are tapping into the mental wellness of it all. And this brother in particular is a multi-award winning podcaster, and he's just coming off a hot Webby Award win for his show, Black is America. He's also an entrepreneur, army vet, husband, father. Please give it up for the one, the Dominic Lawson. What is up? I am living a dream, David. Thank you so much for the opportunity and to have me on the show. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And congrats on the Webby Award, the first of many. I appreciate that. Definitely worked really hard for it. So it's like it's surprising, but it's not surprising. So, but, uh, but I appreciate that sentiment for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. As usually is the case, there are a ton of directions to go into just off of your intro alone. However, we're going to start it the way we always start it getting you man-to-man blue check certified. I think you know this question. So all I'm going to ask is, are you ready for that question? I am ready, sir. All right, Dominic. What does masculinity mean to you? Masculinity to me means being comfortable in your own skin. I, I think a lot of times when it comes to, you know, what a man is, masculinity, stuff like that, a lot of people like to define what that is, you know, and they're usually not yourself, right? Because, you know, being a man is just like being black. It's not a monolith, right? You know, I, I can remember growing up as a teenager, you know, in, in my bedroom, uh, singing to NSYNC and Backstreet Boys, <laughs> because I, I thought the music was cool. That's just real talk, right. right? You know, Justin Timberlake coming from the Memphis area. So there's that connection. There you go. Right. But just being comfortable in your own skin and that you get to define what masculinity is. I tell people all the time that like, look, I can help put something together and build something, but they, at the same time, I can go, you know, cook dinner and and do these other things, right? That appear to be you know, of feminine nature, which, you know, is subjective, you know, when it comes to a lot of things, right? But that's what masculinity means to me, just defining what that is for myself and being comfortable in my own skin. Yeah, I love it. I love it. You got the check. You are in. (laughs) Nice. Hey, you know, got got to get that check. That's important. That's important. (laughs) In terms of all the different ways uh, to get started, I guess we'll start from the beginning. Mm Mm-hmm. So it's been said, technically, you were raised by a single mother. You also noted, however, your dad was all around. So there was some level of co- co-parenting. I want to ask what that was like for you, in particular, growing up in the Black South, Memphis, in the Lamar Terrace projects. Sure. So uh, like I said, I grew up in the in the Bible Belt South, Memphis, Tennessee. Yeah. And like I said, my... Mom uh, was a single parent. Uh, she uh, got pregnant with by my dad, uh, like senior year of high school. Okay. All right. Uh, and so my dad had a scholarship to go to school, but once he decided, but once you know, mom found out that she was pregnant with me, he decided you know to stick around and help take care of me. Which uh, even from the time that um, I wasn't even born yet, that that has always made a big impression to me, and not just about who my dad is, but, you know, but what he felt like responsibility was and and defining that for me. And I've, I've kind of followed that model, uh, as a man and as a father, uh, as well. Uh, but yeah, you know, it was, it was interesting because like I said, while my mom was technically, you know, by all 
definitions, you know, whatever. I was a single parent home or whatever. My dad was there all the time. Okay. Like he, he would come by, he would come by, you know, to uh, take me out to eat or, you know, I spend the night over his house a lot of times and stuff like that. So here in Memphis, we used to have this, um, this amusement park called Liberty Land, right? So it was like, you know, it's nowhere, not like Six Flags or anything, like just a nice little uh, amusement park here in Memphis. And so we was all ready to go and this, that, and the other. And I have a little sister who was fathered by a different gentleman. And I'm getting ready to go with my dad and the other. And my dad was like, hey, what is your sister doing this weekend? It's like, I don't know, man. Like, that's not, you know, this is my sister. I love sure. her. But I mean, she's doing her own thing. She's doing mom. It's like, okay, she's coming too. And so, again, like, even though my sister didn't belong to him, he felt a need and a responsibility to be like, you know, even though I'm his, uh, that she should have some fun, too. And that she should have a little bit of that father figure in her life as well, because, uh, you know, her dad was uh, quite the opposite. Hmm. I'll just say that quite the opposite of my dad. And, uh, you know, not 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 the best of people. Sure. Uh, just call a spade a sure. spade. You know what I mean? Uh, but. But that's always been a, a big impression on me as well. And then there's another quick story about, uh, and, I, and I tell this on a, a podcast of how uh, the co-parenting kind of worked. Mm. Uh, so it was like, uh, I think it was March or May of 1991. And this is when uh, the Rodney King thing happened, the beating on TV and stuff like that, right? right? Uh, and my mom you know, said, Hey, when you get out of school, come straight to school. Because me, I would usually, you know, hit up the candy lady, play with my friends or whatever, but she's like, come straight home from school. Mm-hmm. And when I came home from school that day, my dad was there as well. And then we had to talk. Mm-hmm. And so in the black community, as you know, David, we had to talk. This wasn't the birds and the bees talk. This was how to interact with the police type of talk, you know? And, and so she thought it was really important to have both of them there to have that conversation, which just, again, just says a lot of my dad, you know, as far as like what it means to be a dad, what it means to be a father, what it means to be there for your family. Even if that family doesn't look like the prototypical mom, dad, picket fence, two and a half kids type of model. Right. But um, he's always showed up and he still shows up today. He's still giving me advice, still like, you know, I don't know, Dominic, maybe we should go in this direction or something like that. You know, just being a dad. But uh, that, that's always made a, a massive impression on me as a father and stuff. Thank you for sharing that. I, I think there's something powerful, you know, either parent, just the parent's presence and knowing that they will be there, they will be present, you know, uh, mom or dad. But I think for us, <laughs> for men in particular, having that dad role model around, just knowing that he's around, knowing that you will get those tidbits to this day <laughs> and those insights, right? That Right. Absolutely. There, there's something of a comfort. There's something of a way of conversations that just wouldn't, that you wouldn't have with your mom, that you wouldn't have with anybody else, but that type of figure in your life, right? Yeah. And it's interesting that you mentioned that because like, let me be clear. My mom was, was an all world mom. Like she was pulling Christmas presents out of nowhere. <laughs> like, mom, I know you don't make that much right. money. Like, how are you able to get this super Nintendo? How did you pull that off? Right. But, but at the same time though, my mom was always like, she would go right up into the cliff as far as like, you know, what she need to show me is any other, but even she knew like, okay, this is where your dad needs to step in. And so my dad being available uh, to me in, in that regard ha- has been, you know, huge, 
to say the least, it's been huge. And I'm uh, super uh, appreciative to both of them to having that that conversation, uh, whatever conversation that looks like, because co-parenting can be rough. Yeah. Okay? yeah. It can be really rough, right? There's past, like, you know, relationship stuff that probably could have that happened and, you know, bad sentiments towards one another and stuff like that. But whatever it was, they figured it out. You know, and even when my dad, you know, uh, got married to my stepmom, they had a conversation. So there's this third party that's kind of in the process as well. But whatever they did, whatever conversation they had, all three of mm-hmm. them, I'm super grateful. And I've turned out for the best for it. And, and, and growing up in Lamar Terry's projects, I needed that. You know, I was that kid that um, could have easily gone the, the different direction, which I know sounds cliche, but it, it's just true. And so for them to be there to kind of steer me in that direction, uh, because this is this is early 90s. This is, you know, crack cocaine, drug dealing, public housing, you know, all types of crazy stuff goes down. And so for them to have that conversation and to be there for me has been pivotal. Was there anything in particular that kind of stood out to keep you within the guardrails of kind of staying on the straight and narrow versus kind of, you know, veering out and to your point, could have been just another statistic? Honestly, it was the reinforcement of how education was important, but not just important, but cool, right? Because one of the things they always did was expose me uh, to different things, right? Like, hey, you're great at math, Dominic. Let's go to this fair where math is super important. Like, hey, I see that you like, you know, science or something. Let's go to this museum so I can show you where the science, where I know it seems boring right now, uh, but it can be applicable later on. And so, uh, and and I'll never forget this. My mom, took me to the, uh, the the Memphis Children's Museum here in Memphis, obviously, sorry, the redundancy, yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, here in Memphis, took me to the Memphis Children's Museum and where, you know, I would see all these cool and amazing things. Uh, and, and she's like, hey, see, this is where the stuff that you're learning now is just the groundwork to do all this cool stuff mm. later. And so it was honestly just double downing on the education, but not just talking about it, but showing me and exposing me to different things that uh, could be applicable to you know what I do now. Hmm. I love that. Black Beyond Measure honors and elevates Black creators, artists, entrepreneurs, and others in the Black community. Target holds the community front and center, supporting their products, ambitions, and efforts, and people behind them encouraging them to thrive. Understanding more about myself and about my wellness helps feed my inner glow. For me, that's a day at the beach listening to the waves. That's it. That's all I need. And honestly, it can look different every day for every other person, but that literally allows me to recharge and get grounded. And those intentional moments of self-care allow me to show up for others. And being there for others is foundational to my practice. Also, connecting with Black men every week has been amazing. I love how these stories have poured into me. I've learned from them and therefore been able to provide it to our community. And it's given us space to enjoy the soft life. Ah, the soft life. Community support is everything. And Target understands what it means to invest, uplift, and celebrate community. Learn more at target.com slash black beyond measure. Kind of transitioning a little bit here because, you know, I want to continue the journey of Dominic Lawson. You managed to stay on the straight and narrow and eventually you end up in the army. So now you come out of these 
challenging times. You come out of this challenging environment. Uh, you kind of get yourself into another challenging environment of some sort, right? Uh, you know, for some, mm-hmm. it's just it's just not the thing. And, you know, some folks would never consider it. But then I, again, I know growing up where I grew up, you had a lot of recruiters that were around in certain neighborhoods and said, oh, you know, this is the way that if you don't have any other way, that's the way. Which is very targeted, by oh, the way, but that's another absolutely. conversation for another yeah, day. But that's so, why, yeah, that's so. why I said certain neighborhoods, uh, <laughs> low income, melanated type of men, <laughs> type of mm-hmm. neighborhoods. And so for you, you know, going and transitioning into the army life, and then coming back into the civilian life, I, you know, I know everyone has a different story, a different outcome, a different experience. How was it for you? So going into the army, it was always a sense of service for me. Like, and that's something that my parents had always instilled in me, you know, even though while we live in public housing and it's not the greatest of circumstances, right. but you, you still give back, you know? So we, we did soup kitchens and stuff like that. We volunteered and stuff like that. That was always there. And so the next step was for me, just felt like, you know, military service, serving a cause bigger than yourself. And, and to be fair, David, I, I bought into the the dream of like, you know, serving your country, this, that, and the other. And I still, I still believe in certain aspects of that. Sure. But, you know, as you get older, you learn certain things like, okay, maybe certain things aren't such an open up, like we talked about earlier about those targeted neighborhoods, right? Uh, And so, but leading up to that, you know, I did four years of ROTC in high school. I was Mr. ROTC, color guard, rifle team, drill team, land navigation. I was trying to do all the things, right? Uh, But, you know, so enlisted in the army and you know it didn't go as planned originally because i went into basic training uh and i got a heart condition hmm. you know uh had it like a it was a like rare thing i got a like common cold turned into a viral infection of the heart uh and so that's where things kind of took a turn and it's like well you know dominic thank you for your service but you can't stay here Right. So imagine, you know, thinking about like, you know, for a big part of your life, this is what you're supposed to be. This is what you're supposed to become. Yeah. Then all of a sudden, just one random coal and all of that just goes away. Yeah. Right. You know, now I'm grateful for Uncle Sam because he gave me some nice party <laughs> gifts uh, and stuff like that, you know, as far as like health care and stuff like sure. that. But still, it's like it wasn't the plan. Right. You know, uh, and so there was a lot of things that came from that depression was one mm. of them for sure. Like, mm. and we're talking about like, and that's the thing about depression. It looks like a, a whole bunch of different ways, Absolutely. right? Like depression isn't just this, this one particular thing. And for me, it was literally David, no lie, staying in a dark room all day playing Grand Theft Auto. That was depression for me. Yeah, Like just sitting in a room, dark room, playing video games and stuff like that. And then around this time, uh, you know, I was married to my first wife. We have a kid. Wow. You know, and it, it was just it was just a lot at the same time. Yeah. Uh, but the de- depression is quite the beast, man. It's like quicksand. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? You, you think you're doing okay one day, and another day is just kind of like, nope, fit to go and sit in this dark corner and just play video games all day. And 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 really, like the highlight of my times was like when the next game came out. <laughs> like that was the highlight. Like yeah. nothing else. Like and keep in mind, I got a wife, I got a kid. But that was the highlight of my life, which is like, when's the next game? Yeah. And so um, that was a pretty dark time. And 
I'm glad I came through it, but it, it's just one of those situations where it's just like, uh, it was rough to say the least. It was rough. Can I ask what was your light? I mean, I have many of stories that I, I can share on depression, uh, personally, and I have in previous episodes, I can, I can share one with you as well. I mean, you know, to your point of, you know, that dark room video games, a new video game being your highlight, right? You're out. For me, at my lowest point, I will say, yeah, I was in bed all day. You could not get me out of that bed. The only thing that got me out of bed, I have no shame at, you know, at this point in saying it. They had reruns on, I don't know what it would be called today, but locally in New York, Channel 11, WPIX, people my age range would know what that means. They had reruns of Beverly Hills 90210. So every time I heard that, that would be my out. And I think there was something for me being in New York, being in the fog that I was in, the dark clouded environment that I was in where I just was seeing no hope. I had this hope of this you know, this dreamy environment on the West Coast and them just kind of living it up in high school and doing all the cool things. And they're by the Pacific Ocean and the beach and they're just yucking it up. And yes, they get into trouble, but they have these amazing parents that come to console them at the end of the day. I don't know. That must be why that was the show. So at five o'clock PM, that's when it would air the rerun. That's when I would have some life. And that would give me life. And then six o'clock, it was over. It was done because now it's time for evening news and all of that nonsense and every other thing that was going on in my life. So I would start my day at 5 p.m. most days. And yeah, man, it's a trip. It's a trip. There's even times where, you know, I had this functional depression, you know, where you can you can do enough. You can do enough to get by. I want to bring it back to you in was there something that just switched in your head where that switch went on? It was like, I got to do something. Did someone say something to you? How did you get out of that? So anybody who plays Grand Theft Auto knows that like you can run red lights and, and stuff like that. Right. So there's that, like I, I'm, I'm getting it. Right. And so I literally had to go to the store or something like physically go to the store. Right. And so I almost ran a red light because my mind was so like ingrained of like, you know, like of the world, like, okay, whoa, almost no, because I almost got T-bone, right? Like, whoa, okay, that's, yeah, this is, I got to get him because huh. like I'm, I'm going to end up killing myself, killing somebody I love, like keeping, I got like, you know, a, like a nine month old baby at the wow. time, right? You know, a, a son, right? So it's like, what if he was in the car, right? Uh, it, it was that moment, like, yeah, I got to get your help, you know? And so that's, that was my first instance of like going to see a therapist and stuff like that and talking about things. And I, I think I'm around 25, 26 at this time, right? And and, and I guess kind of like that second light, if you will, was we was having a conversation. I was like, look, I, I had this plan for my life. I was supposed to do this. I was supposed to do that. I was supposed to go to the army and, and serve 20 years and then retire and then figure out another aspect of my life. But now here I am, 25, 26 years old, and I feel like it's done. I've already done that part. So it's like, I don't know what to do. It's too early. Yeah. Uh, and she just basically told me, like, look, you're 26 years old. <laughs> like, there's so much more life out there for you to figure out. It's not over. It's not done. You're not an old adult, if yeah. you will. And so 
I think those two instances where it just kind of clicked, like there's got to be something else. There's got to be something else. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, yeah, that was, uh, that was pivotal for me. Yeah. It sounds like it. It sounds like it. When you went to a therapist, just, just one more thing on, well, two more things on therapy. One, when you went to therapy, were you solely focused on your depression and, and working through that or were there, you know, these other variables? I, I just have to ask again because, you know, I was born and raised in New York and the surrounding East Coast, and only recently did I come out to LA. But I know New York and LA is a lot different from the South, the racist South, the projects of the South, so on and so forth. You know, where I'm going with this. And again, with your mm-hmm. upbringing, was that part of the dialogue at all but between you and the therapist? You know, it's interesting because that instance of therapy and then the instance of therapy I go in and now, that part of it wasn't really addressed. Hmm. Okay. Right? Like the part of like growing up and, and stuff like that, that I've been talking more about that now because of, re, you know, recent things and stuff like that, that I've been kind of uh, aware of and stuff like that. But then it was honestly about like having this plan for my life and it not going how I thought it would be. It was also some of the uh, conversations and, and the things that were going on with my wife at the time, which is why she's now my ex-wife, ah. <laughs> right? You know, so there's that yeah, stuff, right? Sure. And so there's a little bit of like, you know, domestic violence there, you know, at me being on the receiving end, right? You know, a lot of times mm-hmm. people don't think about right. men being on the receiving end of Correct. domestic violence, but that is very much a thing. You just had my eyebrows raised, so that's why I was like, "Okay, wait a minute." I was like, "Dominic, what? What, it, what happened?" There? <laughs> okay, yeah, wow, yeah. yeah. So there's instance of you know that abuse as well, mm-hmm. and receiving that abuse and and feeling you know less than yeah. a man, if you will, yeah. you know, right? You know, so there's that part. So, so that was some of the stuff that was coming up at that moment. Wow. You know, so and, and and you know, usually therapists they usually try to go underneath, but we weren't there yet. We didn't get to that part, but it was just those things. But uh, but yeah, those things were. Uh, that's what was going on at the time. Wow. Yeah. You bring up therapy now that you are going, different reasons, mm-hmm. but you are going, and it sounds like you are, in fact, one of the many that I speak to that are advocates for therapy. As you nod your head, <laughs> more than convincingly. So, I'd like to ask you something. And again, if, if this gets uh, too sensitive, we will divert. I know you're a dad. Um, and I, I, I guess I'll preface by asking, uh, do I say for you, a uh, father of three, or do you consider yourself a father of four? I consider myself a father of four. Because, you know, there's a friend in uh, Kariga Bailey on uh, Soul Affirmations podcast who's been on this show multiple times. And yeah, he considers himself an angel parent. And, you know, I, I, I always want to be sensitive to that. You know, as we talk about therapy and I can have certain assumptions about, you know, therapy helping in this way. And I can only imagine, again, um, that loss and, and how you had to deal with um with your son passing, I believe it was like six days later with that loss, with the gain of other, uh, your three other beautiful children and uh, ultimately being a beautiful, you know, a proud dad of, of four amazing ones. Like, I mean, just that journey, if you can like touch on that a little bit. Absolutely. So this is around 2015. 
it was around 2015, March of 2015. And uh, my wife had been pregnant for about, my current wife now had been uh, pregnant for about six months uh, now. Uh, and this is around a time where we're building the business. You know, you know how entrepreneurship is. It's go, 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 hustle, this, that, and the other, right? But that also led to some complications hmm. in the pregnancy. Got it. And so um, uh, to the point where, you know, my wife had to be on bed rest for like the last two weeks. Uh, and then it got to the point where she went to one of those routine checkups, like we have to deliver today. Uh, and honestly, we don't know how this is going to turn out. So on March 6, 2015, give uh, birth to my, my beautiful son, Maximus. And then six days later, he passes away. And through those, those six days, David, were indescribable. I'm sure. I'm sure. Just, you know, terrible. Yeah. Uh, you know, because it's just one of those things where you're not really sure what's going on. You hear all these boops and beeps of, of like medical machines and devices and stuff like that. And it, it, it just got to a point where it's like, look, man, if you're going to take my son, just take him. OK, like, don't don't put him through this crap. Like, don't put us through this crap. You know what I mean? Like, if you're going to do it, just do it. Right. And that was a point, David, real talk, like, you know. Me and God was beefing. It, it is what it is. I believe we, we yeah. were beefing. Like, yeah. <laughs> it is what it is. Right? Yeah. You know, maybe it sounds blasphemous, but that just is what we were beefing. Uh, because I, I was angry. I was angry, and I wasn't just angry for myself because my, my wife currently, uh, she lost uh, both of her parents when she was young. Wow. Right. So I'm also angry for her. Right. To have to endure this loss. You know what I mean. Uh, and so it, it just got to a point where it's like, look, man, if, if you're going to take them, just take them. Hmm. Right. So, uh, March 12th comes around, he, he passes away and I just, you know, lost for words, you know, and I, I think honestly, and I'll try to be, you know, a bit sensitive here. I, I think what really got to me because we had always planned to nurse, right. You know, no formula and stuff like that. So when I see my wife who I love dearly still have to pump milk for a baby. That's not here. Yeah. Like that, that, that just does something yeah. to you. That's just like, I like now me and God, I have a different conversation because sure. I'm sure. like, come, come holler. Yeah. <laughs> this, that's what we doing, you know, but, and I don't mind talking about this and I, I'm glad you asked because I think it also just speaks to the power of therapy Yeah. because like if this was like maybe a year or two after the fact, like, nah, we ain't have this conversation. Right. But a few years removed, uh, you know, I can have this conversation and every March, you know, we, we get a little squirrely and wildly mm -hmm. because it's that time of year. Yeah. Uh, the reason I say I am the father of four is because, you know, I, I still brought him home. You know, I still brought him home, you know, you know, put him in an urn stuff like that you know, still talk to him, stuff like that. And so that's why I say that. Like, I, I still talk to him. I still care for him. I still, you know, speak of him yeah. um, as he's in the physical form. Uh, but man, that that's, it's, it's the darkest days. I always say March 12th is the day the earth cracked. Yeah. Like that, that's, yeah. that's what I uh, equate that to. But yeah. uh, how I got over that or how we got over that is honestly, me and my wife, we just focused on each other. Hmm. Like, don't don't focus on my own feelings as any other. Just make sure she's okay. Make sure I'm okay. She'll make sure I'm okay. And, and that's how we that's how we got through that. Hmm. That's how we got through that. 
That's powerful. Thank you uh, um, for sharing and going there. And to this day, so you just mentioned every March, you know, March just passed. Are there things you do, you and your wife do specifically to honor him to, you know, I hate using the, the other term like getting past it. It's, it's working through, right? Yeah. It's, it's, you know, like you sure. said, you, um, that is your son. And so, you know, you, you do have to find ways of, of that manage that emotional management. Are there things sure. that, that you can offer as these are the things that I do to help because uh, you're not alone in this? Absolutely. No, no. I appreciate that question. One of the things that I do is I have lots of, lots of male friends and, and their fathers and their fathers of sons, right? Uh, so usually what I do around every March, I'll send them like a, like a few dollars or something. Mm-hmm. Right. But the rule is you have to do something with your son, okay. whether it be taken to a game, taking the ice cream, something like that, because that's probably something I would have done with my son around his birthday. Yeah. yeah. Right. So if, if there's like a, you know, like a, you know, a game or like a, even if it's just to like to just do something, whatever, right. Go to the park. Like, Hey man, like, Listen, I think you're a great dad. You know, this is around the time where I, you know, I uh, physically lost my son. Uh, and, and I just want to tell you that I think you're a great dad. I think you're doing an amazing do- job with your son. Here's X amount of dollars to go do that. Right. And, and so for me, that's been very helpful in like, you know, not just therapeutic for me, but also let another man, another black man, uh, not always a black man, but usually it's a black man, somebody who looks like us, to say, hey, I see you as a father and I see what you're doing and I, and I appreciate what you're doing because, you know, and, and just a reminder, like, look, cherish it all because you just never know. And to, to go through that, it, it just it just sucks, David. I'm just going to be honest with you. It sucks, yeah. right? There, there's still days where I'm like, come on, man. I thought I did it all, right? Uh, but yeah, that that's what I do to to kind of around every time this uh, that time of year to kind of kind of honor my son and, and and to also promote you know black fatherhood as well. No, I love that. I love that. And see, I you know you're a prime example of of, of taking the tragedy into triumph, where you know now now you're spreading the love. And you know for myself, who you know I different loss. Uh, I, I lost my mom, um, the top of this year. And so, you know, at some point there is this moment where you, where you recognize grief as being one of, if not the ultimate act of love. And it very much sounds like that's what clicked for you. And, and, and not only for yourself, but now you're, you're literally spreading the love. You're literally creating this community through, again, the, the, for me, experiencing this and, and that type of loss, that it is the ultimate act of love because in that you really, truly get to the heart of the love for that person. You know, it, it's interesting that you, you, you mentioned grief. And so in working at a behavioral health company and stuff like that, there's, there's something about grief that I learned. And it just dawned on me in this conversation that that's basically what I'm doing. Earlier, I talked about being in the army and having a sense of service, yeah. you know, based on growing up and stuff like that. Right. Uh, and so in the behavioral health community, as it relates to grief, there's this notion of grieve as you live. Basically, if a person is grieving 
and let's say they love to bake pies, when they're grieving, they're going to bake a thousand pies. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or if, they, if they're grieving, they love to cut yards, they're going to cut like every neighbor's yard <laughs> until they whatever. Right, right. right. And so I, it just dawned on me in this moment, in this conversation with you, like that's basically what I'm doing each March. It's that service yeah. of black fatherhood and, and understanding that like, you know, life is precious. And like, you know, that bond between a father and a son is extremely precious, not different from a father, daughter or anything like that, but it's precious in its own right, special in its own. Absolutely. Right. Uh, and so that sense of service clearly has, has shown out over the past eight years since, uh, my son's passing. Yeah, no, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. And I, you know, that that's something I, I was going to allude to, you know, your service uh, <laughs> and having that in your DNA. And here, here you are, here you are through, through again, the, the most powerful form of love, you are now doing it. And, you know, one, I applaud you uh, literally <laughs> and figuratively. And, and, and you did touch upon where you're, you're now working as a host and producer and editor. <laughs> so you're doing all the things um, uh, on this uh, behavioral uh, healthcare podcast. Do you feel this is like further catharsis for you? Do you feel like this is like a further outlet for you as a host, being able to touch on um, behavioral health and, and being able to, again, you, you even alluded to that when, you know, with grief and with the show that, and how it came up for you in the past, that is this something where you feel like it's just, I don't know, it's almost organic that this, yes, this is part of your uh, journey, your path. I think so. I think so. When I started at the uh, behavioral health company, I, you know, I, I knew of mental health. Sure. Right? I knew of grief, you know, the, the, the terms of them all. Yeah. Right. Uh, but, you know, but once I started diving into the work, it really did feel like a sense of service mm. because uh, when you hear these stories of uh, addiction and, and trauma and, and loss and 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 uh, all the things that people are going through, uh, not just in this country, but around the world, yeah. you, I, I definitely feel a, a strong sense of empathy for, for all of them, right? You know, I, I think a lot of times when we're going through our mental health challenges, we think we're by ourselves, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, and, and we, we feel like this, this is only happening to me. Nobody can understand what I'm going through. But then when you hear these other stories and you start doing this catharsis in group, in community, mm. You start to realize that, like, not only are you not by yourself, that you're actually more powerful to overcome those things in a community, right? Yeah. And that community doesn't have to be extremely large, right? You know, it, it could be just one on one with a with a therapist or a counselor or something like that. But yeah, like a, as I continue to do this work, it, it definitely is a sense of service and a sense of catharsis because, you know, uh, man, the, the the stories you hear, like right before we had this this conversation, I just wrapped up a recording hmm. session. And it was rough, man. Yeah. It was rough. It was really rough because the thing is, is like you, you hear these stories and you, you want to help. And, and obviously I'm not a clinician, but my job is to help tell these stories in a impactful, compassionate way. Sure. So that way somebody can pick up that phone and be like, hey, I heard this podcast. I went to got I went and got help. Like I, I need to go get help. Right. Uh, but when you hear these stories, they I'll just say this. Once you hear some of the things that happen to people, you can't unhear them. Yeah. You just yeah. can't. I, I can delete it out the episode. I cannot make it make sure it sees the light of day, but you can't unhear it. Sure. Right. And and that's another reason why I've gotten back into therapy and stuff like that. But yeah, there, David, there's definitely this sense of service uh and, and in that show and 
and definitely in what you do here with man to man, like, you know, you know, podcasting is great, yeah. right? You know, it, it's wonderful. It's cool. This and the other, but there's a responsibility that comes with this microphone. And I, and I think we try our best to do uh, the best job we can in order to, to get that information out there, to make sure people understand that like, Hey, it's not the end for you. Mm. Like there's another chapter to this book that we can write. Yeah. Let, let's write that together. Yeah. Right. But yeah, that catharsis, that sense of service is absolutely 100% there. Nah, I love it. I love it. And I, I, I love that that sentiment at the end of writing a new chapter because your personal book is never closed. It's never finished. It's never nope. finished until you put the pen down. And it can always it can always be a new chapter if you are compelled or someone helps you to pick that pen back up. So I, you know, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of that. So I love that. Um, let me ask you this, because I know service is going to be part of this answer. Um, <laughs> what for you, at, you know, with all the things that we've spoken about, what does your daily routine look like to be able to keep you in this solid headspace to keep you, you know, again, going down this right path where I just, you know, for me and hopefully for everyone watching and listening, it's to zoom out and, and, and see your progress and, and see your path. It's beautiful. It's just, it's this beautiful path of challenge. I've learned and I've grown challenge. I've learned and I've grown and so on and so forth, which I think life is ultimately. And I, I, I feel like, again, your story so far is a, is a testament to it. So what, what do you do to keep yourself grounded, rooted, on a anchored on a daily basis? Um, you know, I mean, there's the, the actionable stuff, right. You know, like I, I go for a walk every day. I, I feel blessed to live in a cove, right. Mm. So there's not a lot of traffic, yeah. right. So I get to uh, walk in the cove every morning and, and just kind of, you know, think about not just what I have to do for that day, but also why I'm doing mm. it. Right. You know, which I know sounds cliche, uh, but, but it, it helps. It really does. You know, and this goes back to, the antithesis of uh, being in a dark room playing video games every yeah. day, right? Yeah. You know, so to be in amongst nature, uh, to be you know amongst the birds that are always chirping in the morning. I feel like I'm in a in a Disney movie <laughs> or something. I don't know, but but uh, <laughs> but to be amongst nature really helps me. Like it, it helps me uh, immensely, you know. And also when the sun is out, that's even better. It's almost like Superman yeah. getting that strength from the sun yeah. and stuff like that. But uh, internally, in between the, my two ears, I always just remind myself that like, and they kind of go back to what you were saying earlier. It's not over till I say it's over. Yeah. Yeah. Right? It, it's not over till I say it's over. Right. And also just focusing on what I can control. Right. You know, because there, there's certain things I can control and there's certain things I can't control. And that's probably one of the biggest things that me and the therapist today talk about. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, that 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 struggle for control yeah. and, and, and focusing on what I can't control. Right. But no, those are some of the things that I do. Go for a walk, uh, you know, have those internal conversations and just appreciate life, man. Like, honestly, yeah, I, I get the podcast for a living. Like, that's that's absurd. <laughs> that's absurd. In a good of way. Course, right? Of that, course. Of course. absurd. Yeah. <laughs> it's absurd. Right. I could be, you know, I could have been T-boned at that intersection that I talked about. Yeah. Like, you know, I could have, you know, possibly taken my own life after my son passed away physically, yeah. right? I could have done that. Yeah. But but to to be in this moment with you right now, it's it's just a testament that like 
it's never over until you say it's over. There's always this other chapter to write. There's always more you can do. There's always these people who are actually, you know, going back to service again. I'm sorry. Uh, but th- there no, are- don't be. Don't, don't be sorry. Sorry to interrupt you. Do not be sorry about service. <laughs> okay. 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 But but it's just, you know, a reminder that like there are people who are waiting, waiting on you to be you. Right. You know, and, and they poured into you, you know, from my, my wife, my mom, my, you know, my, my dad, you know, my ex-wife, you know, you know, who, you know, on good you know, terms and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're they're waiting on you to be you. Uh, and so you're kind of being selfish if you don't fully live your best life mm-hmm. and, and ultimately achieve who you're supposed to be. And I don't like to be selfish. I'm pretty sure you don't like to be selfish no, either, David. No. But I don't, I don't like to be selfish. So if that is true. I mean, people have poured into you. Just remind yourself that like, hey, don't don't waste that that pouring into you, whether that's monetarily, whether that's love, that's support, whatever that looks like. Just don't be afraid to be you. Mm. Unapologetically, of course. Yes, of course. <laughs> I love that, Dominic. That, that was beautiful. <laughs> beautiful. Um, this has been amazing. I always love when it surpasses my expectations, and this one has surpassed my expectations, and I hope everyone watching and hearing uh, feels that. Tell the good people what projects you have out there coming up or out there right now, including the Webby Award-winning podcast that folks can <laughs> dig into to get more of this awesome service that you, Dominic Lawson, provide. Absolutely. So once again, David, thank you so much for having me here on, on Man to Man. Uh, currently right now, we're working on, uh, which probably be out uh, by the time this comes out, uh, You know, working on our uh, my feature on Dory Miller uh, uh, and his service uh, in the Navy and what he did on Pearl Harbor mm-hmm. and stuff like that for Black is America. You know, and then also simultaneously, uh, season two of Recovery Replay is out right now. So uh, I'm telling those stories of addiction and trauma and recovery from three different perspectives, from the person in recovery, their support person, and a clinician that kind of wraps it all together. Uh, so those are the two things that I'm working on right now. You can find... Uh, Recovery Replay, uh, Black is America, and our other show, Beyond Theory, all on your major podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and all that great stuff. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Love it, love it. And you can also connect with Dominic Lawson on LinkedIn. Again, um, Lawson. (laughs) Dominic Lawson, that is. Uh, Well, some people call me Wazicki, so I'll call you Lawson. Uh, (laughs) That's fine. Take me back to my army days. It works. Lawson. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Brother, I thank you again so much for this conversation. It was a beautiful, eye-opening, and heartfelt one. So good people, make sure to touch on all three podcasts. This man is working. He's out there. He's he's doing the service and keeping that service spread wide. So tap into all the podcasts, all the projects. In the meantime, don't forget to tell another brother, king or queen about man to man so we can keep the wellness revolution moving. And if you like what you're hearing, give us those five stars. And if there's someone you want to hear like Dominic or someone else that we've had on Man to man in the past. Connect with me on Instagram at Waziki, W A S I C K I. Till next week, peace, love, and you know it's coming. Service. <laughs> we out. <laughs>